Welcome to the Battle Buddy Podcast with Keith McKeever. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Battle Buddy Podcast. I am joined by Mike Demo, and we are going to um, we're going to drop some drop some fire today. Uh, I've got some I got some questions loaded up. We've talked a little bit before this. We talked a few weeks ago. I tell you what, man, just the free information that you just gave me, um, just to just kind of frame things in, in the right way was was amazing. And that's the direction I wanted to take these questions because I know there's a lot of other people out there who run businesses that could really just because this is so simple. It was really simple stuff, but it took a little bit of brain power to think about and, and frame it out. But we'll get into that in a minute. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are, what your military journey was, and what got you to today. Thanks, Keith. So Mike Demo, I spent eight years in the Marine Corps Reserves, uh, my MOS has no civilian equivalent. So in English, it's battle space manager. I was the air battle commander for the Battle of Fallujah 0405. And my Marine Corps career ended. I had my meritorious staff package set up and the reset program because they wanted me to go officer. But after my last deployment, they said, you know, if you feel a certain way, you know, go talk to Doc. Talked to Doc. I had some anger issues. I was a little pissed off about stuff. And this is in 07. And they hadn't really figured out PTS. And so, yeah, they diagnosed me as bipolar instead and told me, you know, sign out of the unit. You're gone. So my transition was like one day and back into the civilian world. So that was pretty cool um, is what it is. And. I came along, so I come from a family where uh, we're, I'm the third generation here. The first generation, when they got back from World War II, every one of them, except for my grandpa, actually owned their own businesses. And those businesses were good. They had them until they retired. But when they did, and we talked about this before we recorded, second generation, it didn't work out. And those businesses ended up closing, which to me, is it's... A shame because, you know, I use the pharmacist as an example. If you've got your local small town pharmacist that does compounding medicine and everything like that, they retired, they go out of business. There's not somebody else that just got out of pharmacy school that's going to go and pick up the reins. You get your CVS, your Walgreens, whatever have you, and you lose that connection to the community. That's a lot of what I'm working on now is the acquisition of local small businesses, trying to keep them locally run, locally owned. And like we were talking about a little bit earlier, I'm trying to help veterans fill in those gaps. So a rough stat is 80% of businesses, when the owner's ready to retire, has a partner die or divorce, wants to move, whatever have you, like they might try to put them up for sale, but 80% of them do not sell, which means they close down. And the community loses that resource. So I'm trying to help veterans skip the startup line and actually start off in businesses that are cash flow positive from day one, because we're all going to make mistakes. But it's a lot easier to make mistakes when you're profitable than when you just put a lien on your house so that you get the startup funds to try to get stuff going. So even since our first conversation a couple of weeks ago, that's been something that has really gained a lot of traction and you know I'm excited for what that's going to do not only for our community but for the communities that our folks live in. And there was a lot of small businesses. I 
I'm sure you've seen it. Anybody who's listening has seen it over the last couple of years. If you just stop and just think for a second of in your town, how many small businesses have just shut the doors because of COVID, because they weren't prepared for it, whatever the case, or, you know, even the second generation is just rare because you don't, there's no guarantee that your kids are ever going to want to do the same thing. No. I mean, it's rare for me. I'm, I'm second generation realtor. <laughs> it's very rare. I could probably count them on one hand in, in my local area of people that I know that, that fit in that same category. But most people just, they want to go blaze their own trail, do their own thing. You have your own passions and you can't blame your kids for that. And so you got to find somebody, you either shut the doors and walk away and liquidate all your stuff, or you find somebody that can take it over and run it. Don't have the want, the desire, the passion to do so. Yeah. And that happened in my, I mean, most immediate family. So my stepdad was one of the premier builders of luxury homes in Fairfield County, Connecticut. So you always hear about the Gold Coast of Connecticut, your Greenwich, New Canaan's. And like, dude, the houses that I helped build as a kid, <laughs> I mean, you're talking like 10,000 square foot. This is like in the 90s going for multiple millions of dollars. And on a you know, 150 foot run of house, eighth of an inch is about all he was allowing for a tolerance, like really well built houses that are going to survive. But he was always stressed out. He never learned how to properly delegate and have a crew foreman. So when you have two crews and you're the person running it, you know, you're running back and forth. It's frantic. He was picking up the checks. He was cashing the checks. He was doing the payroll. He was looking at blueprints at night after he got home. He ended up dying had a heart attack on the job set at 65 dead. There was nobody to pick up the business. Never told me how to do it. And we ended up having to sell off his assets at maybe 10 cents on the dollar to help cover final expenses and everything, which side note drives me nuts because I've been a registered financial advisor for almost a decade now and had been saying that, but, you know, those are even things like small business owners, like you don't know, like it, it's crazy. You know, we, we have so many conversations about like the issues one of my clients was having, we we're talking about before, we're like having the right people or when I think you said it was your grandpa, you know, when the one partner dies, make sure you sell out your shares. Well, that would have been just two key life policies that each partner pays with the other person. So when one passes away, the insurance proceeds pay out the other family. Like there's just, there's a lot of stuff. And uh, my medical client, he does great work for veterans with hormone therapy. And I started walking through the exercise. Um, and I appreciate you showing me your homework there, by the way. Um, but he, he's like, Mike, dude, they just don't teach you this in medical school. And this is a guy that brings in decent seven figures. And the same stuff you and I were just talking about, like we're starting from square zero and that might be the Marine Corps in me where break it down to build it back up. You know, maybe that's still stuck in my DNA in some way. And sometimes but, you got to break it down Barney style, right? Well, that, but you also have like, let's start from zero and reimagine what this is going to be because your results up into this point and, you know, I'm turning 40 in a couple of days. I thought I'd be at a different place than I was, but you know, life had different plans and that's cool. You have to be able to say, all right, that's all well and good, but from here forward, what does it look like? And starting from that core, that's where we start to see the growth and acceleration and start to build. So like 
I don't know. Do you want to share a little bit about what that exercise was? Because uh, it might be informative for everybody. Yeah, actually, I was. Um, there was there was a few things. That was one of the questions I wanted to get into. Was oh. we talked a little bit about finding purpose? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of evades a lot of people. Uh, and you had mentioned three word mission statement. Mm-hmm. And so, what is? I guess the first question on that is, what is the importance of that three word mission statement? In a word, ironically enough, it's clarity. So if you look at a major corporation, they've got a paragraph of here's the fluffy things that it's just the feeling in the heart, right? Yeah. The English majors in the rooms love it, but what the heck does it mean? What do you do? Like back in that movie, the 300, you know, Spartans, what is your profession? They have one word, you know, Orville Redenbacher, their thing, it's popcorn. That's what they do. So having a three-word mission statement gives clarity to the organization's purpose and then gives you a stepping off point for what we're going to talk about the next part, your five to seven core values. You know, there's so many that people put down. What are the things you want to see in your top people? What is the culture of your organization? Oh, again, here's another page. Let's break it down again. You know, maybe Barney style. I, I like that one in camp. <laughs> but what are the five most important things? And what, what does that mean to you? Because eventually we're going to transition your entire team to being completely in alignment with that. Or we're going to find people that are in alignment with that. Now, and like I know when I was deployed on my Iraq deployment, I ended up taking over for the active duty. I was a reservist. They brought me in. I took over the active duty crew chief role and then actually ended up taking over the officer bill at the senior air director. And I let them know that my goal was to make sure that everybody on my team knows how to do everything and level them up. So I had PFCs that were doing a senior NCO job. I had them doing the junior officer billets, you know, actually controlling aircraft as a E2E3. It's an 01 to 03 job. But, you know, just to be able, if we all understand the mission and what we're trying to get accomplished, and we all have the same guidelines to work off of, we can be massively effective no matter what the situation is. Absolutely, because you never know when somebody's going to need to step up. Um, well, you know, in, in a battlefield environment for whatever reason, or even in a corporate environment, if somebody just leaves yeah. for another job, whatever, having people cross-trained is extremely important, yeah. you know, or just even having people trained, like, yeah. you know, like your father in that, in that business, it's kind of bouncing around like a ping pong ball, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's hard for a lot of people to give up and delegate and give up certain things. I think all of us probably struggle to one <laughs> To one degree or another with that. I know I do. It's yeah. an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, I will say the one thing I give up is I have my wife. She's my editor-in-chief. Yep. <laughs> anything, anything I write, um, she has to look it over. Um, I had that public school education. My spelling is not always 100%. Uh, it's not as good as Grammarly or my wife. So you, know, you just got to find those certain things. Yeah, Jarvis is great for that too. I think they just rebranded it, but it's – yeah. So, software to help with that. My wife was an English major too. I wasn't. I, I joke with like I can talk like an adult, but if you see me type, good 
God, it's terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, know your strengths. Yeah, absolutely. Know your strengths, know your weaknesses, uh, you know, and, and figure out what you can take off your plate, which I know is, is such a difficult thing for a lot of people. I know you talk to a lot of business owners too. That's that's probably I would assume one of the top things that that you probably hear is how do I, you know, how do I give up task A, B, and C so that I can focus on D, which is what I really like. And that's something that I ironically do cover. And most of the time we think that word should come from the top down. Uh Jack Willink has a really good point about leadership from the bottom up as well. So one of the exercises I run people through is I want you to write out exactly every task that people should do in your organization. Now, have them also do the same thing. Here's what I do to do it. You're going to see discrepancies. Have them try to do it your way and get the feedback on what doesn't work because there's only two reasons they're doing it another way. One, they weren't taught. Or two, your way doesn't work. (laughs) Good so, point. Yeah, one of those is true. It's going to, I mean, there might be another variable, but that's usually pretty much it. So let's work through. Okay, so this is what we're doing. Now, as a collaborative effort, let's find the efficiencies. You know, I have my fancy lean six, you know, little certificates and all that stuff. But you could just read a book, Scrum. It's available on Amazon. It's like 15 bucks. You could literally read how to do this optimization and find the efficiency so that that task that's taking this person an hour might cut down to 40 minutes. That doesn't seem like a lot, but over the day, that means they can do one or two more tasks. Like I've got a client who does all of the paperwork and then sends it to his assistant to type it into the system. Asked a simple question. Why don't you just either do voice note or by like a remarkable two where you write it out and it saves it as a PDF, a word document, whatever you want, instead of writing it on paper and then having it transposed, just do that. Invest $300 or whatever it is and don't have that problem again. How many hours would that give you back? I've got it back here. I'm not going to dig them out. Rocket book. I got a special pen. You can write on it, take your phone. I think there's a QR code if I remember at the bottom and we'll scan the whole page and upload it to programs like Evernote or write into your Dropbox, things like that. Yeah. Just write it out, scan it, it uploads it, and then you just wipe it clean. Yeah. It's done. But again, this isn't something that an unsuccessful business is doing. This is a guy that's bringing seven figures a year. We all have efficiencies in our business. Uh, there is no perfectly ran business. No. There is always something to improve. There's processes to improve, you know, performance to improve, all those kind of different things. You know, but you got to have that clarity first. Because mm-hmm. I think that was really helpful. I know for myself, it, it, not that I'm trying to get into myself, but. Yeah, go go just, ahead. Podcast. You, you said it. <laughs> and I wrote it down. And a few days later, I, I went back and I looked at it because I have just left one real estate company for another. I've gone solo. I was on a team before. And, you know, I've got a lot of clarity in a lot of different things. But this really kind of helped take that next step in clarity for me to be like, okay, it's written down. Actually, it's on a sticky note on my monitor right now. It's written down and it's right in front of my eyes and I can look at it every day. 
just like your goals. They should be written down somewhere and they should be perfectly in alignment with your core values and your mission and all of that. If it's not, well, you're just swerving on the road. I mean, you're just, you're all over the place. You're going to, it's going to take a lot longer to get where you need to go. Yeah. Speaking of writing things that I've, you can't see it on here, but I have a piece of wood. It's about four feet long that has success as a mindset carved into it and painted that hangs on my wall. You know, again, you know, what, do you, what is it? You know, cause face a ton of adversity. Like I just talked about my exit from the Marine Corps. That's not even a top three black swan event. You know, business completely failing. Cause I didn't have the structure and programs and, you know, it's something I was talking with my wife about ahead of this podcast is, you know, in the military, we have this don't quit attitude and hardheadedness is, you know, it's kind of baked in. Like you will not quit. Like if you're doing a ruck march, don't be the one that quits. Don't be the one that quits. And then don't ask for help, which started to change a little bit late for me. But, you know, we had the conversation about, yeah, but if you're doing the wrong thing even harder, it's not going to help. It's going to make it worse. And that's what I did. I completely just burned in, working 100 hours a week, not taking time for myself, not thinking about that. And like, I just, I fell apart. I had as close to a nervous break as you could. And my business results followed. And that's one of the hard things when I start to onboard a client. We have the conversation about how is their business going and the things that frustrate them. But I care about the entire individual. Uh, my mentor taught me faith, family, fitness, and finance. We need to have all those in harmony in order to make sure you're successful because everyone always says, don't take your work home. That goes both ways. And if you don't have the systems and processes in place in your business, you probably don't have them at home either. And I've been guilty of this too. Oh, we've all been guilty of that, I think. But dude, not having the date night, not dedicating time to your kids, not dedicating time to yourself. Those things all come into play. Like I did a podcast um, just, what was it, two, three weeks ago where I literally said, hey, there's times when you should not onboard people. Like, oh, there's all these people that want to work with me. Great. Don't. Why? Because you're not locked in yet. It's okay to tell somebody I'm not ready for you. You can even tell I'm, I'm a big fan of just dumb levels of accountability. Like, hey, I'm in the process of revamping to make a better experience for you. Is it cool if we start next month? Who's going to be like, nah, dog, I'm not doing that. No, the right person is going to appreciate that transparency and honesty. Yeah. And the wrong person wasn't somebody you want to work with anyway. Like, exactly. Like I've had conversations with people that their billable for me would have been 10 K a month. Anyone going to turn down 10 K a month? Like just generally speaking, probably not. And I told this individual, now to be clear, I am not interested in working with you. I'm helping you through this process because I want to see you succeed. It was somebody in the tribe, by the way, turned down a hundred thousand dollars a year. Basically wasn't a fit. Yeah. You know, that's a hard lesson to learn as a business owner. 
I, I had a couple of clients over the last few years that actually I was just telling a guy last night we had a, an awards awards uh, banquet and we're having some drinks afterwards. And I was telling this other agent, I'm like, look, one of the most valuable lessons I've learned in nine years in real estate, I learned in the last two years. Mm-hmm. If you have red flags the first time you meet a client, walk away. Don't do it. Don't don't let yourself get suckered into, uh, yeah, it's going to be stressful, but I'll deal with it for the commission. I'll deal with it for the sale. You know, mm-hmm. like, don't do that. I had red flags and thought, yeah, it's not going to be that bad. And it was two two different two different sales. They were they were related. They were moving out of state, and it was like they actually loved me. Like they really loved me, but it was so stressful on my end trying to communicate and and all these other things that happened. But you know, I won't go into that. But I was like, all right, I need to pay attention to those little hairs on the back of my neck, those red flags that pop up. Just don't don't take those kind of clients on. It's not worth the stress. You got you got to find that balance. Like work with the people you want to work with. Be purposeful. So we didn't, we didn't talk about this on the last uh, last time we chatted or even beforehand, but on the financial side, like I said, I've been a registered advisor for about the same time you've been in real estate. Brought in maybe half a billion dollars in assets for clients. And there are people that I just don't call, won't work with. If they do call in, I'll send them an email back with what they need, but I will not, I won't do that because energetically there's not a fit. And I was helping a financial advisor with this uh, about a month ago, a little bit newer to the business, but he was a vet. So, Hey, you know, there's not going to be a billable on this one. Let's just have a conversation and ask the question, like, who do you serve? Well, I mean, look, look, I get it. You've got your seven, you've got your 63. Everybody does. Like it's all the same. My billion dollar asset managers and my, you know, $1 million asset managers all have the same license. They all have access to the same products. Who do you serve? Well, I don't know. I don't want to cut anybody off. And that's when we were talking earlier about like all the stuff that I just told you, like literally, Hey, let me share my screen and show you this is the exact framework I work off of ready, willing, and able. Here's how this all works. Take it. Because I work off of a blue ocean model where there's plenty of room for everybody. That being said, there's plenty of room, but I want to own this one little space. And I started working them through. Like, do you want to work with, you know, let's just broad demographics, men or women? Women. Okay. Well, that's about 150 million. Uh, Liberal conservative, if it matters to you. Uh, Yeah. Pick one. All right. 75 million. How old? Okay. That's X million. And then in this particular area, that's X million. And then you break it down. All of a sudden, you know exactly who you want to speak to as a client. And it's somebody that you'd want to have come through your door every day and have a conversation with. You know, one of the things we always talk about is like the lack of tribe. Once you leave the service, your customer can be your tribe if you do it right. Like they're the people that you want to connect to. And I ended up breaking down with this guy who's like, there's probably a half a million people within 50 miles of you that you could speak directly to. So instead of that broad message that gets lost in the static, have an amplified message that cuts right through. If you do that, you're going to see results. And he has. And every single business can do that. You know, if you're, 
some of them are going to be more broad than others, right? If you sell tires mm-hmm. <laughs> to consumers, you sell mm-hmm. it to everybody. Everybody who has a car. Not necessarily. You know, or, I guess not necessarily. If you're in a speed shop, you're not selling um, whatever the Chinese knockoff tire is. You're selling a really good Pirelli. Well, you're yeah, selling true. a fucking yeah. tire for autocross. But if you, yeah. an anti- if you own an antique store, then your target demographic is people who are into antiques, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> But I, can, I mean, I can imagine in my mind what that looks like. You know, my wife is an esthetician, so she does facials and waxing and all that stuff. Like, well, her target is obviously women. You know, women who, you know, have the disposable income to take care of their skin, want to take care of their skin, see the value in it. You know, and you just, you just, you just target those things down. You figure out what that, what they call it, avatar. Yep. Yeah. And figure out what that is and, Judge it. Well, just like the, the core values in, in your mission statement, always in the back of your mind, always judge it, right? Mm-hmm. It's a good it to it. it's a good compass to be able to work off of to know if you're going in the right direction. That's I mean, that's basically it. And you know, so many people in our community try to do it the way that I did it when in my twenties, where I ended up, you know, ball of fire, that whole thing. And I wanted to make a ton of money, but also help other people grow and develop themselves. And like those relationships I have with people that worked with me back in 2006, like we're still in contact and that's really cool. But I burnt out because I didn't have the systems processes and I was starting from zero. The same thing applies in business, you know, going back to what we were talking about, like talk about that auto shop. Oh, I want to open up my own garage. Okay. My dad's a mechanic. He had his own shop. That's actually where I learned how not to do business. Ironically, he would let people leave without paying for it. But that lift is eight grand. Uh, that those tools. If you're not going to the Snap-on drug dealer and going to Harbor Freight, you're going to spend thousands of dollars at Harbor Freight. I know this. Snap-on drug dealer. Oh, oh man. My God. Yeah. <clears throat> some brands <laughs> just have a cult following of some sort, don't they? I'm not a mechanically inclined person, but I even know that that you know. Dude, but they make good stuff. Don't get they do. But you're gonna you're gonna pay for it. You're gonna pay. I mean, Sears went out of business, so Craftsman's a little bit harder to you know find nowadays. But it was like the same thing. Now, <laughs> I'm just thinking. My dad had a really nice adjustable wrench that somehow made it to my garage. Three um, H ratchet. Sorry, Dad. It's mine. Um, <laughs> I have his ten mil too because those are hard to find. So hey, you know what? A good ten mil is hard to find. Just. It's, it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just being able to, like, do you want to go through all the growing pains? No. Are you still going to go through growing pains? Yep. Oh, absolutely. But if you can avoid some, if you can take a step past one or two, yeah. you know, because of free advice or somebody, you know, helping you out, it's going to make the ride a little smoother, right? Yeah. So I'll give you an example, Keith, of my buy box. These are the companies I'm actively looking at purchasing. $1 million or more top line revenue, a minimum of $200,000 profit, seller discretionary expenditures, whatever you call it. Why do I want that? Because when I'm going to go into the books and then go visit the facility, I'm going to see where the areas of opportunity are. And mine is organizational structure, sales and marketing. That's my zone of genius. Um, that it's what I do best. So I'm going to look for the business that I can add value to. 
And then that $200,000, by the way, I don't want another 40 hour job. That $200,000 gives me the ability to pay somebody a really good wage. So I'm in Connecticut. I'm probably paying 75 K to be my office manager guru. If they already have that even better, happy days, I'll probably give somebody a promotion and a little bit more money and have them manage things. But that'll be like a four-hour week business for me. Maybe five, check in on them, make sure things are going the right way. Keep a finger on the pulse, know what's going on. Commander's intent. Yeah. But that business, if you're looking to get started, let's say, like, I like the trades because, like I said, my stepdad was in building. My dad's a mechanic. Like, I, I understand people that are the best at their trade that end up being in business for themselves. I get that because that was my entire family. And those people, I'm either going to buy their business or help them grow their business so they can sell their business. But you don't have to have a ton of money to do this. If you figure an 8% interest rate, I know half a million dollar business over 10 years, you're going to pay like 10 grand a month in financing. That works out to 120 grand a year. If you've got $200,000 in net profit, 120 grand of it goes, that's 80 grand. If you pay somebody 50 grand to run the business, you take home 30 grand. Or if you do it yourself, you're making 80 grand. Like that's cool too. And that's if it just stays flat and you add no value to the business. But like you, you, didn't have to put anything down per se to do that. Like there's ways to do this, you know, seller financing. Well, they'll finance. I don't care what the rate is because as the person selling a business, you're either going to get your top line number or you're going to get to pick the terms of how you get paid. I'm okay paying somebody a higher sale amount. If I get to determine how they get paid for the exact reason we were just talking about Keith. So if this business is spinning off 200 grand, Hey, you know what? Half a million dollars, a million dollars. What? I'll buy the business. It's cool. Fine. We're good. First payment comes in three months. What? Yeah, that happens. And I'll put a rider in there where if I default on payments, you get the business back plus whatever I paid for it. But yeah, no, we'll pay you out. Or maybe, you know, one of the things I was talking about with KeyBank with their, you know, lines of credit use that. I don't care what the interest rate is. Just give them a little bit of money now and then do that. But the person that's selling the business is literally going to get paid back for their business from their business. Let that sink in for a second. I'm not mortgaging my truck, my house, all that stuff. Like one of my new business partners up in Ohio leverages his house to pay for his company startup. One of the first things I'm going to do is figure out a way to pay that loan back with loan that's secured by the business itself. You should never have to have your house where you live with your family under threat because God knows black swan event. You don't want that. That's a lot, a lot of risk. And you should maybe, you know, if, if that's the only option, if that was the only option for somebody, maybe you should reevaluate what direction you're going with things. Because that's not a good idea to, to over leverage your assets. I mean, that's what everyone does. I mean, the 2008 financial crisis, you know, 
over leveraged, not having equity in your house because, you know, thing like VA loan, but for people that didn't serve, like being able to finance 125% of the appraised value, your negative equity in the house, that's basically what you're doing when you leverage your house for your business. And how much stress do you bring in? Like, just think from the mental side, because I've been there when you've maxed out all of your personal assets and you still have to make payroll. That sucks. Like that, my stepdad used to have to try to figure out how much money was floating in his account because he didn't just have proper processes. Like if you can not do those things and know, hey, if I just tread water, even if you don't take a paycheck, that business is still going to be successful and grow. And then you can take a paycheck. Like there doesn't have to be the financial struggle to go with the mental struggle of learning and ramping yourself up. And you know, that's one of the things going forward that I'm going to be working on is helping bring veterans under my wing, if you will, and let them buy in their local communities. Cause like we were talking about before the local businesses have been decimated and if they go away, like actually my dad was here earlier today, the local parts store, Levine's, they've got locations in every town around here, very local, Danbury, Connecticut. It just sold. It didn't sell to somebody from here. It sold to a national chain. So those local dollars, they go away. You know, Brand X Automotive Parts or Callahan or whatever it was from um, Black Sheep, they're not buying the Little League t-shirts to support the team. They're not a pillar in their community. Yeah, definitely not invested at all in the community. No. And in their community, in another town, another state away. Yeah, and but, no, 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 they're all in the Acela Corridor, though. All those corporations roll up to, you know, the big city. And that's where you see, like, these – companies go wrong and you wonder what's going on in corporate America. Why do they give a damn what Twitter says? Because the people that now own them are all centralized in one area. Like you're in the real estate field. How many uh, houses in your area is BlackRock bought under Blackstone? Probably a lot. They're, it's Could be a few. Yeah, I have no idea. Up around here? Like that. that's what they're doing. And yeah, we're in the, probably one of the top five most affordable markets in the Probably in the country, top 10, 15 at least, you know, you could spend $140,000 on a thousand square foot ranch home with a full basement, half an acre, half an acre like lot. It's, you know, I mean, we are an extremely affordable market. <laughs> Not at all my pitch for people to move to Peoria, but, <laughs> Did we, we, but like, you know, it's, it, it's affordable. And we have seen a lot of outside investors, a lot over the last couple of years. Well, and what's wild for your market, if people were smart about it, with the way that work has gone remote, you can do it from anywhere. Which is why I tried to have my wife allow me to move to Texas, but that didn't work. Um, but it's God's country. Do you tell her it, that? <laughs> it, it is. And I'm working on some land either there in Wyoming. Um, yeah, that, that will be happening in the next couple of years. But... Like you don't need to be stuck to anywhere. Like I haven't commuted to an office. I built an office. It's fine. It works. Mm-hmm. Like go to Peoria. Why not? Yeah, you could. Uh, you could work for a company 
a lot, well, you know, all across the Midwest where the affordability is, is amazing. Low traffic, quick and easy to get around, super affordable. You know, of course, we may have high property taxes, but still, when, you know, Bro, still you have, not even close compared to the values. Don't tell me about high property taxes. <laughs> my, my bill comes in over a thousand bucks a month, man. Wow. Yeah. No. Well, somebody might have it worse than Illinois, but you could you could yeah. live here and work in New York, Chicago, D.C., Miami, yeah. you know, work, but work from your home, you know, right here and, and not have to travel. Or maybe if you do, I mean, you know, we do have an international airport. Well, they call it international airport, but yeah. <laughs> Chicago is not that far away. Neither is St. Louis. You could, could travel if you need to, you know, and so I don't know. You, you have a good point. I don't know why some people live unless they have other connections. If you don't have connections, go somewhere cheap. Mm -hmm. And everything that I just walked you through, that can be done remotely. Like one of the businesses I'm looking at acquiring in the next quarter is in Ohio. I don't live in Ohio. doesn't matter. Now it helps that I have somebody I trust in that area, but what can you do through your tribe and community to maybe have a partner that's, somewhat local or just do it via zoom you can do it yeah you know and if, and if you don't want to take on too much of a risk find some place that you can travel to by air you know or a couple of hours away on a drive you yeah. know so you could go there i mean you know i think probably visit at least there periodically you know go make a site visit or something like that if that was important to you as a, as a business owner but yeah. but you know and at the end of the day i mean find something that you're passionate about and then, like, just an example of a website, Biz Buy Sell. You know, it's free to sign up for it. Just start looking. The numbers will start to make sense to you. Figure out what you're okay making. Like, if you're going to work in the business, you might be okay, like, depending on where you are, with 50K, 100K, whatever the number is. But you'll start to see that the numbers work. And these are businesses that have been around 5, 10, 15, 20, 40 years. So... They're through some of the, you know, baby stuff. The hurdles. Yeah. yeah. Well, they've already got staff. They've already got marketing and advertising done. They've got brand name recognition. Maybe. I mean, you know, to varying degrees of all those for sure. Yeah. Uh, you don't know how, how well they've done, but some of those things could be semi-established or they could be well-established. Mm-hmm. It could just be that, you know, somebody's just like, you know what? I'm 80 years old now. I'm going to retire. It's time for me to hang it up. I don't have any kids that want to do this. And somebody approaches me with the right deal, it gets me out of this. I can go retire and move to Florida and hang out with the Gators. <laughs> well, and that's one of the secret weapons that I guess sharing on a podcast is not a secret, but I got it from somebody that does blue ocean type things too. Go talk to the people of, hey, X, Y, and Z HVAC company. It's been around since 1980. I don't know. That's about 40 years. Um, hey, man, are you looking to retire? Because I love this business and I'd like to have a conversation with you about it. Like up here in the Northeast, people are leaving in droves. Gone. See you later. Retiring and leaving the state are the two top reasons businesses are for sale up here. So it's a good incentive. But take a look at their numbers. You know, you might be giving what they call like paying a multiple of earnings. So it doesn't really matter what the gross number is. It matters what actually filters down. Usually it should be between 15, 20%. That's why my buy box is at least a million dollars and at least 200. 
I could go a little bit lower or a little bit higher on those if I see that there's an easily fixable thing that's holding them back. But find the one that fits you. You know, maybe where you are, maybe it's, you know, they profit 125K, you take home 60. It's fine. Do it. Take a look. But if you're passionate about signing the front of the check instead of the back of the check, and if you've never done that, it's so much better. So much better. It does have a lot of additional responsibility because your organization and culture is going to look like you. So shameless plug, you might want to have a guide or a consultant to help you through the process. But in general, there's well-established practices. If you do that, you're going to be successful. If you just held water, that business was already doing okay. You find the things the previous owner wasn't doing well and fix it. And then you start to see the growth in scale. Which is there. Because like we said earlier, no, no business is perfect. So there's there's always room for improvement. I was just thinking about the local restaurants in your town or, you know, any other small business that you've ever gone to. Maybe they don't offer, ah, I don't know. Maybe they don't offer cheeseburgers, you know, but all the rest of their food's good, but you just want a cheeseburger and they don't offer it. Or maybe they just don't offer the brand of tire that you want. Whatever. That's yeah. Some things you could fix, or or maybe they just you know maybe the the food is a great quality, but the service is a little lacking. All right, well, train up the staff, find a person that can do that, can motivate, lead, train, improve that, turn that around, and increase your profits. So that's true, Keith. Now there is an opposite side of that. Um, like the cheesecake factory menu is too big. So <laughs> and there's only one kind of cheesecake you need. And it's just cheesecake. Yeah, but. Going back to your point with the three-word mission statement, a lot of businesses have business lines that don't match up. They might be better off spun off into their own thing. But business owners try to try to innovate and expand, but it's not like they have been taught what to do or brought somebody on board to help them with the decision. They just try to figure it out. Like, hey, like I have a family friend. He was one of the best Italian chefs in the area, hands down. Great Northern Italian food. Decided to add a sushi bar to his restaurant. Oh, that makes no sense. He liked sushi. There wasn't a lot. There, there was an opening in the uh, market for sushi. That's but cool. It's not at your but, Italian restaurant. No, that makes no sense. And that business folded because it was trying to be too many things to too many people. And you'll Back down the wall and start another business on the other side of it. Yeah. Like, different name, different company. Could be the same people. Put up some drywall. Actually, no, in, uh, in the town I grew up in, there's a famous chicken restaurant right behind it that people own the same place in this little like dive bar. They actually share the same kitchen, but mm-hmm. in there you get like onion rings, pizza, burgers. In the main restaurant, you can also get burgers, but it's like fried chicken, green beans, mashed potatoes, like those kind of things. America. It's more of a family atmosphere, bar <laughs> atmosphere, literally in the same building, just s- separated. You know, you could walk through the kitchen, I guess, if you're an employee, but that's it. And how totally different clientele. How long have they been open? Forever? 30 years, 30 plus years. You think that's going to stop? I don't know. Uh, I went to school I went to school with their kids. I don't know if their kids are involved in the business or not, but prop, statistically, at some point in time, they probably close down their doors unless they find somebody to approach them. They find somebody passionate that is willing to take over the supervisory role. Yeah. I'm not saying, Keith, I'm just saying 
ask them to what their numbers look like, you might have yourself a little side hustle. I'd have to think about that. I'm not much for the chicken game. <laughs> but you're going back to my point. You don't need to be. You just need to find somebody that is. Yeah, that's a good point. And the business has to make enough money where you can pay them and still get something for yourself. Darn good like point. If I, if I own 10 businesses where I bring in 50 grand a year, it's a half a million dollars. If I'm paying somebody to run it and I just need to talk to them an hour or two a week, hey, how are we doing? What do we need? And there was some stuff like from the agile mindset, the um, there's things called level 10 meeting. We can, I know we're at like 45 here, so we could do that at another point, but like the weekly standup meeting just to see, Hey, all in accountability from all parts, what worked, what do you, what didn't work? And what are you working on this week? And everybody does it and you can see, all right, this is jacked up. That's jacked up. And it's pure accountability where, you know, the HR manager, didn't bring in enough people. So sales are down because you didn't have enough people making phone calls, but they were under the assumption that this had to work this way. Cause you said this and they're trying to do onesie twosie when the actual manager just needs all of the candidates. Let's rapid fire this in a group setting. Like there could be so many different things, but that's an hour a week. And then you spend an hour a week with the person running the business for you. That's two hours a week. I'm running 10 businesses making 50 grand each and I'm spending two hours per business. Catch, tell me if I'm wrong, but that's working 20 hours a week to make a half million dollars a year. Yeah. Good point. Doesn't suck. Yeah. No, that wouldn't suck. I think, I think most people would, would like something like that. So yeah, that's um, man. Yeah. There's a definitely a lot more to unpack and a lot, a lot of logistics in that stuff. So I will say anybody who's, who's who's interested in that, I'll just I'll throw the banner up there right now. They can connect with with Mike on LinkedIn. I'll be up there. It'll be in the show notes too for anybody listening. Uh, but I wanted to go back to that um, the core values mm-hmm. and the three word uh, mission statement. Any any quick advice for people to set that stuff? You know, something actionable they could do today with a sticky note like I did, and and, and get it written down and up on their computer. So when I give you the guidance, the core values could have been five to seven, put it there five and you don't have to get to five. If you authentically feel that you can do it in three, do it. Yeah. Makes sense. Just do it. The reason the mission statement has to be concise. It's just like commander's intent. Everybody needs to know immediately. What do we stand for? If you have a business where people walk in or if it's on your website, here's what we do. Like if you go to my personal website, michaeldemo.com, I have it set up. So on the banner, when you pull it up on mobile, because I just designed it for mobile at this point, it says grow, Mike Demo. That's what I do for people. That's it. Like There's a lot of things that go with it, but if you break it down to its essence, that's what I do. Now, did I know how to build the website properly when I did that? Not really. You know, sometimes the universe just helps you out. I'll be completely <laughs> yeah, Sometimes you get an assist here and there. Completely honest. That, you know, was it intentional? No. Did it work? Yes. But that's it. That's you what still put the You still put the check on the win column for that, right? Yeah. Even I mean, if it's not, well, it still works. It's still a win. 
Yeah, but just so everybody knows, here's what you stand for. Here's what you do. Because ABC Corporation could be whatever you want it to be. But when you step in the doors, what do you do? What is your mission? And that's it. And then, hey, these are the things that we believe in. One, two, and three. Maybe down to seven, but like one, two, three, whatever it is. And things that you're passionate about. And then all of the people, you know, in the Marines, we had the saying, speed of the leader, speed of the team. So as a leader, you had to be on point. You had to be the best at it so that you couldn't get all the other people with you. You know, that's an important thing. Same thing. These are the things that you as the founder believe in. And everybody that works here is going to be on board with that. And that doesn't mean you're firing people right away because it's, you know, it's not their fault that you didn't create this intent until now. Usually it's like a three-month process I take my clients through where at those weekly meetings, the leadership team is going to check in. All right, Bob, Sue, Fred, you know, for each one down the line, are they a plus, a plus minus, or a minus? That's simple. It's not personal. And then it's not, oh, well, they're a dirtbag because they're a minus on these things. Hey, what can we do to help Bob get on board? Like, what can we do to help inculturate and bring him and show him why this matters so much to us? Right. How do you, how do you motivate him and teach yeah. him? If it's a if it's a motivation issue, motivate. If it's a skill issue, teach. Yeah. And at yeah. the end of the day, you as a leader, you're responsible. If your people fail, it's usually not their fault. Yeah. And good leaders will be able to recognize those things and do what they need to do to make a, a team be successful. Yeah. I know there's a lot I can think of, even in my business, uh, other real estate teams in my area. From my perspective, perfectly well-oiled machines. Yeah. And like they, they, they're just good. They're good, good at what they do. They're my competitors. And I'll say that out, out loud. I have competitors in my market that are mm-hmm. extremely good at what they do. It's a reflection and, of leadership. And in, and a process and intent. Yep. Absolutely. Dude, in financial management, it's the same thing. Like there's, like I said, there's people, like one of the groups I work with manages General Motors pension and 401k plan. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of accounting numbers. <laughs> but they have a system and a process. Oh, yeah. process for all of that. Now, take away like one of those major accounts. The best people that I have have a standardized process. Um, LTM Wealth in Westchester, New York. Um, I interviewed with them back there. Uh, the guy that is like the head of operations is a Marine. Didn't work out commute and everything wise for me to get down there, but they have a synergy of all the things somebody will need. So they're the one-stop shop for their people. And they manage billions of dollars because they have an efficient process to handle whatever it is their client needs. Then there's the person that works at Northwest Mutual that was told to go ahead and prospect your friends and family to sell them an insurance policy, even though you don't have an insurance license. And results vary. But... They all essentially have the same things to offer. It's just the quality of what they offer and the processes and systems and clarity behind what they're doing. Yep. So just got to, you know, the, le- the lesson for today is just get that clarity. There's a lot to, a lot to unpack for sure in this episode, but. Yeah, man. Sorry. That's not good. <laughs> that's what I expected to, to bring a lot of, a lot of heat, right? Whatever it was I said back in the beginning. Fuego. But, uh, Get that mission statement. This is the, you know, this is the action item. 
pay attention, everybody. Get your mission statement dialed in. Mm-hmm. I guess even if it's, I mean, I do love the short and condensed, simple. That is that is much better than the, the paragraph. I guess yep. if you have to write a paragraph, write a paragraph. But I would highly suggest you look at a much shorter option, you know, and then find those core values and get yourself on the path of being centered at least. There's yeah. a lot more that can go into it. This is just the basics. And then on those core values, I'm sure there's some good examples out there. Um, I will do a little research. And if I can find some, I will throw those in the show notes as well. Some some sites on some great great words that people might not think of. It might inspire them to be like that. I like that one more than another. And uh, I'll give you a good one. Well, fire away. What was your branch of service again? Air Force. What's your core values? Integrity first, service before self, excellence in all we do. And I will tell you my first two core values are integrity and service. The Marine Corps is honor, courage, commitment. I can't do the general orders, by the way. It's been way too long. Right. <laughs> no, that makes two of us. Don't ding me on that. But like I just thought of that. Honor, courage, commitment. That's it. Does it need to be more? No. And, and, you know, the Air Force slightly expands on theirs, but it is basically integrity, well, service, and excellence. It's because they're more of a corporation, man. Well, I mean, you know, we, we're a little different. Um, <laughs> we're a different breed, okay? Yeah. Hey, I'm just salty that the Air Force recruiter never called me back, man. It's all good. You know, Mike, it was a few years ago. Um, I'm sure he just got tied up on the golf course. Yeah, he was doing something. Probably. Something yeah. not related to the job. Oh, no, totally not. No, no, probably not. Like <laughs> said, most likely got tied up on the golf course. Yeah. I mean, world-class golf courses, you know? I, I don't blame him. I, I shoot a good 90 on the front nine. So it's all good. Yeah. yeah. The, only way I'm, the only way I'm hitting a pin at 300 yards is with a rifle. I'm sorry. <laughs> not going to happen. I will not comment as to how many swings it will take me to get a ball 300 yards. No. <laughs> it's, it's not pretty. And uh, de- depending on how much I've had to drink, you may not be able to count it on two hands. Well, I, I am not. I will never be confused with the world's greatest golfers. That's for sure. Well, and in that case, you wouldn't be able to count through two hands anyway. So, who cares? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. That's why I only play golf scrambles where we play best ball. And I always tell people, "You're get one out of me. Yep. I will make one hit today. One. Hey, all you need is one golf shot to go back. That's it. Absolutely. I, you know, actually, first time I ever said that was um, at a local course, and we started on hole 17, which had a big pond water feature it was just right over to the green and i was joking with them literally the first hole we started on all three of them hit the water and they're like i guess it's you and i said well i told you i hit one let's see what happens <laughs> i three feet from the pin and i threw my golf club up in the air i was like that's it guys i told you to get one yeah, <laughs> it's well, not gonna happen again today it's it's okay to peak early you know that 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 works yeah, you know, you know what? We're late. I mean, it was this whole 17. We had to go back oh, around. I think we started on it. And we did see it at 17. Yeah, you know, just depends on how you want to frame it. Mm-hmm. We started at the end. But anyway, yeah, that's that's my golf skills. Yeah, dude. So, and, I mean, I know double-clicking the mouse on this thing, but if you have the passion to do it, there's people that will show you. Like, there's a lot that we just covered, and there's actually a lot more behind all of what I just said. Like I walked you in this basically hour through the first 
two, three items on a list that's 60 plus for action items. But well, I bet. And you know, it's weird is they don't teach hard. those, they don't teach all those things in business school. No, they don't teach them in doc. You mentioned a doctor no. earlier. They don't teach them in med school. Pretty sure. Pretty sure attorneys don't learn it in law school. How to actually run your business like a business. My degree at UConn was organizational studies and entrepreneurship. I'm actually going to be one of their speakers this year for veteran entrepreneurs on how to skip the line and do exactly what I'm saying. I didn't learn any of that there. <laughs> Definitely not. I didn't learn Scrum. I didn't learn about Agile. I didn't learn about Lean Six Sigma. I didn't learn any of those things. But thankfully, you know, you go overseas a couple of times, the government will pay for you to get a degree. So it's fine. I'm yeah. Sorry. Well, I'm so good at it. Yeah, I definitely get it. Hey, you should take advantage of it if you got those benefits, right? Yeah. I, I, didn't even know where that, I didn't even know where that diploma is either. It's somewhere in a box over there. Don't care. Nah, school has record of it anyway. You don't need a paper copy. If they need it. Yeah. So anyway, Mike, I appreciate you being on the show and, and dropping this knowledge. And I think that's some great actionable items for people to start with to get themselves on the path to being centered. So once again, um, find Mike Demo on LinkedIn. It's scrolling at the bottom. It's in the show notes, connect with them, reach out to them, fire questions at them. Um, I know you'd be more than happy to, to help anybody. So any, any last words? So, I mean, there are other places to reach me. I mean, if you're on Facebook and you're in the vet tribe, I'm there. Um, that's how me and Keith met. So, there's that, like I said, the website, it is using the phrase Barney simple again. Like you see these websites that are really long, really complicated. Mine gets to the point real quick. Are you looking to grow your business? Are you looking to sell your business? I can help with either. It doesn't have to be rocket surgery. It can actually be that simple sometimes. So if you're interested in skipping the line, I helped three other veterans uh, find ways to finance a business without any money out of pocket this week. I didn't ask them to be a client. I just helped them do it. So, you know, feel free to reach out. Um, I'm always on there helping veterans. So glad to do it, man. Awesome. Well, we appreciate that. We, we, we need more people out there helping uh, the veterans grow. So to help people be successful, then we don't have people ending up on the other end of the spectrum. We all know where that goes. So I've been there. We could do another podcast on that. Uh, I've been there. I've been there. We all, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we could. We've, there's more than enough examples out there of, of people doing that. So that's the power of this, of this podcast is giving a free value and giving people a, something actionable to take, take away. So hopefully they don't go from here to here. They go from here to here. So that's for sure. Which reminds so. you, I'm the worst podcast host ever. I didn't even mention that. I've talked about all that. I've <laughs> I haven't even gotten to that yet. Don't even uh, care. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> it doesn't well, your matter. podcast is intentional disruption. Yeah, and I I know it can be found on uh, on all the platforms just like Mike can. Uh, yeah. I was gonna have it in the show notes as well. Yeah, um, it's fine. So uh, anyway, I appreciate you being here, Mike. Yeah, brother, it's always a pleasure, man. We'll do this again. Yep, absolutely. All right, have a good. One. All right, everybody, there you go. Make sure you check out the BattleBuddyPodcast.net, our website for all resources. You can listen to the episodes, check out the guests, and all that. You can, uh, you know, also. Uh, you know, submit a guest request, things like that. So check it out.